Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We worship an awesome God in the blue states. The, the president's uh, problem is that he was born a Muslim. Not God bless America, God damn America. My Christian faith then has been a sustaining force for me over these last few years. Marriage itself is now being redefined and at a very incredible velocity. President Obama made it very clear that he wanted to be the abortion president. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Welcome to the History of Evangelicals in Politics. This is Episode Zero, Introduction. I'm John Fia. In February 2012, with the presidential election 10 months away, I wrote a column at the religious website Pathios asking evangelicals what kind of spiritual traits they valued in a candidate for the highest office in the land. Would they consider voting for a candidate who, for example, gave praise and honor to God before public audiences, or a candidate who wanted to seek God's face with other believers? What about a presidential candidate who confessed that prayer humbles him, or who extolled the benefits of turning to the Creator and listening to him? Would evangelicals appreciate a candidate who turned to his Christian faith in the midst of troubled times, or woke up every morning and had devotions? Would it be important to them that a presidential candidate was mentored by evangelical pastors? Did the candidate need to claim that his Christian faith propelled him as a leader? What would evangelicals think about a presidential candidate who strove to practice God's command to love our neighbors as ourselves and affirm Jesus's words for unto much is given, much shall be required? Would such a candidate garner evangelical votes if he or she quoted C.S. Lewis in speeches? 
believed that Christians should be doers of the word and not merely hearers, and wanted to work towards building the kingdom of God on earth? What if this person was a loving husband and a supportive father, prayed with Billy Graham in the evangelist's home in the North Carolina mountains, and believed the Holy Spirit intervened in his life, prompting him toward action? I suggested that if these characteristics were important to my fellow evangelical readers, then they might consider voting for Barack Obama in November. The President of the United States mentioned all of these things in his February 2nd, 2012 speech at the National Prayer Breakfast, an annual bipartisan meeting of religious leaders, again, most of them Christians, sponsored by the evangelical group known as The Family. And I'll stop here and give you a little bit of a bibliographic reference. I'd encourage all of you to read Jeff Charlotte's book, The Family, The Secret Fundamentalism at the Heart of American Power. Or if you don't have time to read the book, watch the Netflix series by the same name. But I digress. Obama's prayer speech that day sounded like an evangelical Christian performing the movement's greatest hits. Evangelicals read C.S. Lewis to their kids. They define themselves in relation to the gospel message Billy Graham preached in stadiums and arenas around the world. A sensitivity to the movement and power of the Holy Spirit and the practice of morning prayer and Bible reading are quintessential aspects of evangelical piety. And what about family values? Obama had never been divorced, had a good marriage, and was a loving father. Heck, focus on the family could make a poster of the Obamas and hang it in the lobby of its Colorado Springs headquarters. And then I took my argument one step further. I suggested that Barack Obama may be the most explicitly Christian president in American history. Now, why would I say such an outrageous thing? Well, at the time I wrote the column, I had just published a book titled, Was America Founded as a Christian Nation? A Historical Introduction, in which I spent multiple chapters exploring the religious faith of America's founding fathers. In other words, I thought I had a pretty good grasp on the religious lives and language of the men who established our republic. Indeed, if we analyze Obama's rhetoric and beliefs in the same way that historians examine those of the founding fathers, or even for that matter, George W. Bush, the president of the United States who preceded Obama, we would find that Obama's public expressions of piety, his use of the Bible, and his references to Christian faith and theology put most other American presidents to shame. I concluded that there may be good reasons not to vote for Obama in November 2012 but the incumbent's commitment to Christianity was not one of them. About a week after the column appeared at Patheos, I was getting ready to take my daughter to basketball practice and thought I would check my email before I walked out the door. There was not much new in my inbox and what was there was pretty boring stuff. Nothing that couldn't be addressed later. I closed the laptop and headed off to spend 90 precious minutes off the grid. When I returned home, I had dozens and dozens of new emails, 
all of them related to my Pathios column. That's odd, I thought. That piece on Obama's Christian faith was published a week ago. What happened? After a more careful reading of the emails and a quick Google search, I realized that right-wing radio pundit Glenn Beck's news website, titled The Blaze, had just published an article on my column. Writer Billy Hallowell's piece was entitled Messiah College Professor, colon, quote, Obama may be the most explicitly Christian president in American history, unquote. Now, when I read documents with my students, I always ask them to distinguish between what a document is saying and what a document is doing. In terms of saying, this piece was pretty straightforward. It was a published news story about my Pathios column. Hallowell described it in his own words with a few quotes thrown in for good measure and pretty much accurately explained what I had said in that column. But what was Hallowell doing with this article? First, he knew that his conservative, Glenn Beck-loving Christian right audience would think my claims about Obama's faith were preposterous. He knew that his readers would be wondering how a professor at a Christian college could possibly think Obama was a true believer. After all, he was pro-choice. He wanted to mobilize the federal government to bring health care for all people, something Beck and other right-wing media pundits equated with socialism or collectivism. And wasn't Obama actually a Muslim? Second, Hallowell emphasized and highlighted parts of my column that he knew would incite rage among the consumers of the blaze. This is how right-wing media works. Hallowell made sure to take a swipe at Messiah College, the school where I had at the time been teaching American history for nine years. He even put the name of the college in the title of his article so that all his readers would know that a school claiming the mantle of Christianity would allow a person like me to serve on its faculty. But he didn't stop there. Hallowell said my piece made bold claims he highlighted literally in italics the phrase, Obama may be the most explicitly Christian president in American history. And he called attention to my suggestion that Obama's faith put most other presidents to shame. His piece ended by noting that Messiah College had invited a controversial leftist professor to campus in 2007. The school's decision to invite controversial political scientist Francis Piven to speak five years earlier, something, by the way, that Glenn Beck also made a stink about, had nothing to do with my column. This was merely another attempt to degrade Messiah in the minds of his readers. Hallowell's article succeeded in doing what it was supposed to do, namely, light a fire under the Glenn Beck faithful. The comment section was filled with anger and disgust. Readers claimed Obama was not the most explicitly Christian president in the United States, but rather the most biblically hostile president. This phrase, biblically hostile president, I should add, came straight from David Barton, a GOP activist who cherry picks from the American past to promote his Christian right political agenda. 
They called my article nonsense and repeated the popular claim that Obama was a Muslim. One commentator urged fellow readers to beware of wolves in sheep's clothing and called me a blind sellout, a communist liberal idiot and a fool. Another reader said that this article is why we would never recommend Messiah College to students who are seeking a true Christian education. By the way, Geneva College, Nyack College, and Eastern University, all sister schools of Messiah, were also on this person's watch list. These schools, this reader claimed, are more committed to spreading the gospel of social justice than to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Buyer, beware. When I got to campus the next day, someone told me that Glenn Beck had mentioned Hallowell's piece on his radio program. I had phone messages waiting for me from the college development office. It turns out that several financial supporters of Messiah threatened to stop donating unless I was reprimanded. The admissions office received calls from parents who were now concerned about sending their children to Messiah College. Human resources got messages calling for my firing. And of course, the public relations office was scrambling to respond to the criticism. The local Fox News station contacted me for an interview, which I declined. And within hours, I was sitting in a meeting with the college president, provost, and public relations team. Several Beck followers left messages comparing me to Hitler, Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan, and former President Woodrow Wilson. Yes, you read that correctly, Woodrow Wilson. Apparently, Beck connected my article about Obama to his ongoing critique of progressivism in the United States. All of America's problems, he was telling his audience at the time, could be traced back to Wilson and his fellow early 20th century progressives. Several callers expressed wishes that God would cast me into perdition. Those who identified as Christians were often the ones who spewed the most hate and used the worst language. The good folks in the Messiah College IT department had to provide me with a new landline with a caller ID system. I still have that phone. And to this day, nearly a decade later, I do not pick it up when it rings unless I recognize the number. Thankfully, Messiah stood by me through this mess. But the backlash that my column incited meant that they would need to develop a PR strategy for how to move forward. I felt bad that I created more work for several offices on campus. Messiah College, now Messiah University, is a place with a deep sense of Christian community. And this was one of the main reasons I came to teach there in 2002. I believed in the mission of the institution, and I was sorry to make life miserable for my colleagues. As I wrote the next day on my blog, the culture war is real. As far as Glenn Beck and the Blaze were concerned, things died down pretty quickly. The next day, they had moved on to some other culture war issue. This is how, again, the right-wing media works. Attack quickly. Marshal your audience to make life miserable for the victim of the attack. And then move on to someone or something else and let the folks you just attacked before a national audience clean up the mess you just created for them. As I got some distance from this episode, 
I realized that my experience with Glenn Beck and the Blaze provided a window into some very significant changes that the Obama era brought to evangelical politics. This was confirmed recently when I read an article in Politico written by a black evangelical Christian man and Davidson College professor who attended a white evangelical church, sent his son to a white evangelical college, and voted for George W. Bush in 2000 and 2004. He wrote about how he noticed a profound change in his fellow church members after Obama was elected president in 2008. They began viewing me more as a black man than they ever had before, he wrote. What I saw was white neighbors, friends, and colleagues clinging more passionately to their racial identity, he added. The Obama administration revealed a lot about American evangelicals and their fears. While the Christian right was nearly three decades old when Obama became president, this was only the second United States chief executive elected since the movement's founding who did not share the movement's political vision. Reagan and George W. Bush, and to some extent George H.W. Bush, courted evangelical votes and spoke in evangelical language. And now, as Obama began his presidency, the Christian right would draw heavily upon the political playbook they used to respond to the Clinton administration in the 1990s, even as they added new chapters to this playbook to instruct their followers how to take down America's first black president. The internet and social media certainly helped in the process. As long as these conservative evangelicals continue to harden their dissent, Obama's calls to unite the country around shared ideas would have no chance. Obama appealed to our better angels, invoking the nation's founding, and articulated a brand of civil religion that called the country to occasionally sacrifice individual rights for the common good and the love of neighbor. The Christian right also claimed to appeal to our better angels. But these angels almost seemed like literal angels, messengers of a providential God similar to the Roma Downey character in the popular CBS television show Touched by an Angel. When the Christian right saw In God We Trust on monuments and currency, they imagined a nation bound up in an Old Testament Israel-like covenant with Yahweh. They invoked a different kind of American founding from the one Obama envisioned. Theirs was a Christian founding that seemed to define America as a nation of people with rights, but not obligations. In this understanding of the United States, the idea of a virtuous nation was understood to be a nation that protected unborn babies, defended religious liberty, and upheld traditional marriage. This was not what the founders meant by virtue, which they understood as a political and civic idea that called the nation to sacrifice. So much here, by the way, for originalism. The Christian rights understanding of virtue seemed to come straight out of the Victorian era. Obama's presidency also exposed the darker side of American evangelical history, one defined by nativism, racism, xenophobia, and the worst forms of nostalgia. I tell the story of my run-in with Glenn Beck and his crew in this introductory episode because it sets us up for the weeks to come. We begin this new podcast, 
a history of evangelicals and politics with the Obama era. And if all goes well, we'll try to cover other periods of American history in future iterations of the podcast. Our weekly drops will move chronologically. After a few episodes of context, we will begin with Obama's 2004 Senate run and end with his exit from office in January 2017. Each episode will take a deep dive into this history. Some of what I talk about in these episodes will be familiar to listeners of a certain age, but other listeners, I imagine, and I hope, will learn something new. In our next episode, we will discuss the religious influences that shaped America's 44th president. The History of Evangelicals and Politics is produced by Casey Lehman. It is a podcast for patrons of Current, an online platform that includes daily commentary, reflection, and judgment from diverse and talented writers representing positions across the political spectrum. Current also hosts The Way of Improvement Leads Home, a blog dedicated to reflections on American history, politics, religion, and academic life. This podcast is made possible by our patrons. Please consider supporting us by heading over to currentpub.com and clicking the red support. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.